0: and welcome to the pack heavy podcast now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision i call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning everybody and welcome to episode 41 where today I'm joined by two of the three co-founding team of Zing, Janine Rain and Anuj Sajdiva. Before we do start the show though, like I do every week, I did want to briefly mention Foodpack, which is the company that I work for in BC and also a proud sponsor of this show. So at Foodpack, there are a few things that we do really well. One of them of which is flexible packaging and the other of which is the equipment that coincides with all of that packaging. So if you're in the market for a stand-up pouch or a vacuum bag, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat because we've got a warehouse full of stock bags of various sizes and thicknesses that we can get you started with in your business. Uh, If you're at a position or a point in your business where you'd like to move into a customized pouch, be it a printed bag or of custom dimensions, that's absolutely something that we can do for you as well. So the conversation usually starts by us sitting down and chatting about what it is exactly that you're looking to achieve and the product that you're putting in the pouch, the kind of shelf life expectations that you have and how you want your consumer to interact with the bag. Uh, I really enjoy this part of the business, it's something that I really um, am passionate about because there's... There's nothing better than receiving artwork and then receiving stock and seeing it all come to fruition for you when it comes to the equipment side of the business we're really lucky at food packing that we've got a showroom floor full of equipment that's all operational and uh, you're more than welcome to come on in with your food based product and test it all out that's a great opportunity to do some shelf life testing with your lab and find out exactly what it is that you're looking to achieve with the equipment that you're looking at, so that you can make sure that the capital expense that you're about to embark on is exactly what you want for your business. So if you want to learn a little bit more about what I can do at Food Pack to help you, you definitely need to get in touch. And the best way to do that is to shoot me an email at Hayden at thepackevpodcast.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn or on Instagram at the Pack Podcast. Okay. So founded in 2020 and located in Toronto, Ontario, the team at Zing are creating chef-crafted pantry shortcuts designed to help their consumers make quick, delicious meals at home with recipes inspired from around the world. Their condiments and seasoning salts are produced in small batches and are all natural, gluten-free, and handcrafted by professional chefs who have worked in restaurants throughout Toronto. Now, on this episode, Janine and Anuj provide a complete snapshot of Zing, including some great insight into the startup methodologies that they're actively applying while developing their business. Every Zing recipe goes through a structured lean startup methodology feedback loop of testing, reviewing, and iterating in their test kitchen community. And by leveraging this system, they are building products with reduced risk, strong market fit, and most importantly, a pool of fans who are helping to drive early growth of their business. So if you're in the process of market testing new SKUs and are looking for some inspiration and insight, this episode is definitely for you. Enjoy. Janine and Anoush, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having us
0: yeah no worries well listen uh for everybody out there that's listening today uh this is the first time where i've had a conversation with two people in a room at the same time so there's three of us on the chat today and i'm uh joined by janine and Anoj, who are the two co-founders of zing as i suggested in the intro so guys i've been really interested and um, excited to speak to you today because um who doesn't like condiments and if you're anybody like me out there you open the fridge door and you're just loaded with condiments. So tell us a little bit about not only your business because that's exactly what this conversation is going to be hinged on today and sort of the ins and outs on you know where the idea came from and and how you arrived at where you are today and all of the bits in between. But before we do start off that conversation the first question that I always lead with is where are you both from? Where did you grow up?
1: Oh, that's uh that's a long answer to that question. I think uh, <laughs> Well, we can sort of, maybe I'll try to frame it in a way that makes sense uh, for the format of today. So um, Anish and I both moved to Canada in our late teens, early 20s. And then there's also a third partner on our business, Karen, who couldn't be with us today. I did say that, yeah. Uh, he's uh, busy with production and and making sure that that we're uh, we're actually creating the products that we sell. And he also um, moved to Canada in his late teens and early twenties. Um, Karen from Ireland and us and I from India. Um, and that's and and we find that to be an interesting uh, similarity in our journeys. Um, and and while we all bring unique experiences to the table, that's something that kind of is an underlying factor for all of us. Um, the other thing that's interesting that we like to think about is also that we come from very mixed backgrounds. So whether that's on um, a regional level within India and mom, for instance, is from the north, from the south and his dad's from the north. Yep. My dad is from the west. My mom is Indo-Iranian. Kiran's dad is ethnically Indian and his mom is Irish. So mm-hmm. we've always been very, um, our approach to food and cuisine and culture has always been through that lens. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, Canada has really been an opportunity to to really double down on that, uh, mm-hmm. on that perspective and think about like how all of us come from different places. Mm-hmm. And when we come to Canada and bring and, and when we come here, we learn so much about each other uh, and it's an opportunity to really. Um, bring that analogy of the mosaic to life, which is mm-hmm. we have something unique to bring to the table, but when we come together, we can create something that's quite powerful and, and new and innovative. Um, so I think that that aspect of our journeys and where we come from um, mm-hmm. has been very key to us developing Zing because without it, um, I don't think that we'd be doing it the way that we do today.
0: Yeah, no, that's really exciting. It's so cool that you guys ended up in the cultural melting pot that is Canada and specifically Toronto. So, did your parents come out for you guys out here on your own, and everybody's back back home? So, a little bit
2: different for for all of us. Uh, Janine's uh, entire family moved to Canada yeah. um, around the same time.
0: Right.
1: Uh,
2: my parents still uh, live in India, and right. parents are in Ireland. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, myself. Well, Janine's family is my family as well. But yeah, uh, of
0: course. Yeah. Are you guys a couple? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, good yeah. to hear.
1: <laughs> it's a interesting dynamic when it comes to business. Um, yeah. How does that work? Honestly, it hasn't really been a a big factor for us yet. Um, I think yeah. it works really well because we've known each other since we were both fifteen years old. So we yeah, as each right. together quite well. Um, and we've grown up together quite literally. Um, yeah. in between adults. Uh, so I think that that's less of like a a burning fire or a problem or an issue because I know that that is sometimes a topic, but. Mm. Uh, it actually, I think makes us very efficient and able to be decisive and to move yeah.
2: fast. We've also managed a bunch of life transitions together. So whether right. it's moving our lives to um, Canada or um, actually leaving home uh, when we were about 15 to go to an international um, school um, and that's where we first met as well. So we've navigated uh, a lot of those changes together. Mm-hmm. So this is just another um, you know, fun part of our journey.
0: Yeah. I got to say, Ash, my wife and I, we've done a lot of transitions like that ourselves as well. You know, we've lived between Australia and Canada over the years and it is a big deal. Like you do learn a lot about each other throughout those changes and, and it's through those changes that are really exciting. and But there's also a lot of stress during those times as well. And if you get a really good understanding of how you both operate when you're both under stress, I think that it only makes for a, um, you know, a stronger relationship or bond. It'll either make you or break you <laughs> is what I'm saying. find out. <laughs> so here we are. So Zing is such a fresh and new business. I mean, you guys launched in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic which for a lot of people has been such a challenging time especially in Toronto where you guys have had some really hard and continued lockdowns um I've got family over there and I I know exactly what you guys have been through and it has been a little bit different than us over here on the west coast and for everybody that's listening back in Australia I know that you know depending on where you are like in Melbourne and regional Victoria right now you guys are in hardcore lockdown and I feel sorry for you all because it's been such an extended piece as well but you guys have managed to sort of find a um a diamond through all of this and really sort of focus on something new and that's the creation of a business so why don't we go back to the very start of you know where it all came from and um, the seed of the idea and how you actually went about putting it down on paper and turning it into a reality
1: sure yeah um I could start and then maybe you can jump in if I'm missing yep. missing things um, I think you kind of uh, kind of gave us a good intro to that the pandemic has really been rough for all of us in in very many different ways too. I think for us, we've been fortunate in that uh, this was really just an opportunity to be productive and, and find a distraction at the in the early days um, to, to really focus our energy more productively into doing something that could be a learning opportunity. Um, but at the same time is also really to us, um, trying to solve a pain point that we were facing at home, um, we started to realize that as home became that office space and the gym and, and and everything else on top of that, that question of what's for dinner, we're starting to become a loaded one in our, in our homes. And, mm-hmm. and we're people that have always been really passionate about food and, and exploring different cuisines and um, food really used to be something that brought us together, but it was starting to, to really create a lot of stress. Um, and when you start to dig a little bit deeper into that question of, you know, it's it's just making dinner. Mm. Um, it's not just that you're not just throwing ingredients in a pan and dinners on the table. There's so much of mental load and effort that goes into putting that meal on the table, whether mm-hmm. that sourcing the recipes sourcing the ingredients, thinking about the meal prep, thinking about like all of those different steps that go into actually getting that plate of food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not just us, you know, we're, we don't have kids. Um, we so I can only imagine what it's like for for, for bigger families, uh, parents with children that are navigating that on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. So For us, we really wanted to find that source of joy and food again. Uh, And so we decided to look at the restaurant industry, which is really just um, the place where it's it's, kind of cool, right? Like you can go up to a restaurant, you're sitting at a table, you order up a menu and 20 minutes later, you have this delicious food delicious plate of food that's that arrives at your table um and it can t- and it, it tastes like something probably sometimes you've never had before with ingredients you've never heard of and it all comes together so magically mm-hmm. um and it is that source of joy uh, so we really wanted to look at that and say well what can we learn from the professionals um And what can we take from how this entire industry operates and and shift that into into the home kitchen? And how can we give home cooks the opportunity to to really really re-look at how they think about home cooking and bring some of that joy back without adding more to their plate? Because there's already enough going on, yeah. um, and so this concept of the the pantry shortcut or the smart condiment, which is really a secret sauce to how a lot of the restaurant industry operates, yeah. um, is something that we decided to, to sort of translate back to home cooking, and that's sort of where that product development process started. Mm. Um, so the idea that we always say is just add zinc, and you can just add zinc to any protein, any veggie, any starch of your choice, and you should be able to get a really delicious meal. From your fridge to your table in fifteen minutes—like that's really what we were chasing—and mm. um, something that we were trying to, to recreate, just to take that mental load off and, right. and let people have some fun in the kitchen again.
0: Yeah, no, that all makes total sense. And did you have any other ideas that you were tossing around? Like, did you have a desire to create a business? That's where it was all drawn from, and you guys are like, "This is something we want to do." Or did you actually see a need and sort of act on it first?
2: Um, I mean, we're we're relatively entrepreneurial people. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my family, for instance. Largely entrepreneurs, so sort of saw that growing up. In um, Janine's family as well, their they're entrepreneur's uh, stories there. So, um, you know, we both work at venture builders, um, mm. have uh, started or supported developing startups. So, uh, been around the startup ecosystem. Yeah. Nothing related to CPG, so that was brand new. Mm. Um, you know, my previous venture was in fintech. So, as you can imagine, very different business uh, yeah. when we were approaching things. But um, when it came to us starting a business together, we didn't have a bunch of different ideas. We just sort of naturally fell into this one.
0: Mm, that's great. And so how have you found stepping into the CPG space for the first time? It's different. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: really different. And um, you know, we've had the benefit of having a really good group of people around us to yeah. really help yeah. us navigate the different steps along the way. Um, because, you know, like anything that's new, it's hard to know where to start and it's hard to know what to do next because sometimes mm-hmm. you're in this situation where you're like, wow, there's so many things I need to do. Which one do I do first? So yeah. we've had the, the good fortune and the, the opportunity to be working with accelerator programs mm-hmm. like Space that have been really instrumental in helping us yeah. sort of spend our time and energy and focus on doing things as opposed to figuring things out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, if you ask me about this time last year, I would not know how to do even a quarter of the things that we're doing and mm-hmm. building today. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, very different. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so that's been part of the joy. I think um, yeah. you know, for us, um, you know, speaking about myself specifically, like it's um, just learning new things and uh, learning something new about an industry by actually participating in it is is um, is very different than you know taking a course or something of that Mm sort um that's that's been great too
0: yeah 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 you definitely learn more you know on the ground and actually doing rather than reading books in theory like it's great to have all of that knowledge behind you to draw from but i found that you know through speaking with um you know, all of the guests that I've had on the show, it's really the network of people that they've got around them that they can leverage that have really helped boost them and get them to the next stage of um, on their path as well. So tell us a little bit about the people that you've been leveraging around you and and where you've found the most value in that respect.
1: Well, I would say the number one uh, source for that network is again, like we're not CPG people Mm -hmm. at that term that I can use uh we really were starting from scratch right um so I think the y Space network has been fundamental to that yeah um, just even helping us think through um what are the different aspects of this business that we need to think about mm. right so the even having an opportunity to segment that there's pricing there's distribution there's marketing there's sales there's all of these many different pieces to think about so they've been really good at um opening that door for us and 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 facilitating some of those introductions and facilitating some of those conversations. And then Mm -hmm. once you sort of get a sense of what needs to happen, I think we're resourceful people. So we're able to sort of pick it up and run with it, and then just ask questions and, and uh, ask for help and, you know, um, share what we've learned along the way. And I think it's really just an if, if, if you're an entrepreneur, I think in this space and in general, it's really just about being open and having those conversations and giving as much as you take. And I think that that's the approach that we've taken so far that's been working for us. And uh, hopefully uh, it's something that we can continue to do because, yeah. Know,
2: participate yeah. in and, and help as well as yeah, much as we can as
1: much as we can
0: yeah that's awesome um sarah from more granola who actually introduced us and has introduced me to a lot of guests on this show so thanks once again sarah i've said that a few times now um she's a part of the uh the same network that you're a part of correct yep yep yeah i can imagine she'd be full of great information too because you know we can all draw from our past experiences and the mistakes that we've made um the one thing that fascinates me as well is n- neither of you have come from the hospitality industry either, have you?
2: Uh No, and but uh, Kieran has. Uh, yeah, he okay. worked in professional kitchens in, right. in London, UK, in yeah. Toronto. Uh, so, you know, we had somebody as a part of our business who understood yeah. it really well. Um yeah. He's been a chef for over a decade, so... We, we obviously learned it done um, and the organization had a ton of insight because of his experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can totally manage, like you got to leverage that. With, so that's sort of Keenan's space. What um, areas of the operation do you both sort of, um, are you naturally inclined to lean towards? Um I can go first
1: It's yeah. straightforward. I come from like marketing and communication. So I think that really yeah. thinking about like who we are and why we exist and being mm-hmm. able to articulate that is yeah. something that comes more naturally to me. Um so I think you know to hit the ground running, that's that's an area of expertise that we had covered off yeah. in the early days. Um the running of the business and all of that is something you learn along the way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my background's in um you know, innovation and largely in the realm of financial services. Um, and so, you know, I've done design thinking, consulting, I've done uh, new venture creation. So thinking about um, how we test the concept efficiently, cheaply, understand how close we are to product market fit. How do we build feedback loops into the business? Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of thing that I've done quite often. And so, um, you know, that's something that I brought to the table early days.
0: Yeah.
1: I would say it's been instrumental in making sure that we can actually move fast and 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 deliver on product quickly and yeah. and do it in a way that we know going into it that it's going to be most likely something that our customers will like yeah. and will buy. Um and that's something that's been, I think to me, um as, as as one of the stakeholders in this, uh really instrumental in making us um as successful. As we have been, even in the early days. Yeah. yeah, and
2: you know that's something we pride ourselves on as well. So if you take a look at our product catalog, it's we don't have different flavors of a singular product. We have actually entirely different SKUs, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the fact that we've been able to, um, you know, uh, have six on on shelves at the moment um, and seven in, a, in in the coming weeks and months, um, we we're quite proud of that achievement.
0: Yeah, that is cool. Um, that all rings true once again to everything that I learned when I was at university as well in the entrepreneurship world. Um, one of the things that I was really impressed with on your website is the test kitchen and the concept of the test kitchen that you've got. Um, your consumers actually able to um, be a part of. So, did you want to speak to a little bit about that? Because I can imagine that that would be really instrumental in you know that feedback loop that you were speaking to, and also in you know helping you or be a guiding piece in the decisions that you're making when trying to develop new concepts or new ideas um, for future SKUs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can start and um, Janine, please uh, jump in. So um, it's it's been an integral part of our product development process. And you know what it's really allowed us to do is uh, sort of de-risk um, any SKUs that we are either gonna be putting into market or never releasing, because we recognize that it, it wasn't gonna make it. Um, yeah. Uh, So that's, you know, been super helpful. Um, The desk kitchen community has also helped us sort of, you know, we might start with um, product formulation that we are happy with, but until we know that our intended audience is using it, you know, in the right way, think about using it as frequently as it would make sense for a product to be used. um, It's not quite right. So each of our products have gone through several iterations before um, we finally are happy and uh, willing to, uh sort of put our put our brand on it and mm-hmm. so um that's been extremely helpful Hawkeye is chili crisp are and in some ways our flagship product um you know i think the version that's in market right now is version nine
1: maybe nine yeah. i think sometimes i say version 10 because like that was the first one um, yeah and it went through so many cycles of um iteration. iteration um but you know we know now that it's it's one of our best sellers for a reason it's because mm-hmm. It's not just three people in a room figuring it out um, or working with a food scientist to do it. This is a community driven product. Mm. Uh, This is a product that people have had the opportunity to shape and decide and and help us sort of build a product that they want. And I think uh, um, it's pretty exciting that we can do it. Yeah.
2: And, you know, this this was a thought experiment we had in the beginning, you know, so we had done similar types of work. When you, you know think about building software, you're yeah. always iterating, learning, you know, um, building feedback loops and to, to get that insight. So, yeah. um, you know, doing that with food was really exciting. We had never done it before. And, you know, so far it's been, uh, I think, one of the key reasons for our success.
0: What kind of numbers or what kind of um, volume of feedback are you looking at to have sort of any statistical sort of significance to draw decisions from when you are, you know, getting to a point when you feel as if the product is, you um, in a position to either be adjusted to change or to, um, fit with where the market wants the product to be.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for research like this, I wouldn't, we wouldn't ever aim for statistical significance, right? Yeah. Like, um, there's, um, uh, the old saying, you know, people will tell you what they think you want to mm-hmm. hear as opposed to, um, you know, what you want to hear. And, you know, it takes, um, a reasonable amount of experience, um, um, and expertise to be able to sift through that and, and figure out what's meaningful inside versus uh what's not and yeah. you know, thankfully um our backgrounds and um you know here specifically you know uh, my background um allowed me to uh, really you know build a framework for qualitative research mm-hmm. that we rely on so um i guess, To summarize, we wouldn't aim for statistical, it's not a survey, so we wouldn't aim for statistical significance, we would, um, you know, everything from in-person interviews to um, survey-styled questionnaires um, are are instruments and tools that we've used thus far.
1: Yeah, Yeah. uh, we expanded the model to being like live test kitchen, so we're actually at restaurants uh, where we will serve that, you know. Dishes on the menu that will have just one of our upcoming flavors, you know, incorporated into them, and we're getting live feedback from customers. So we're being very um, nimble in how mm. we approach it. Um, mm-hmm. I think what we're moving towards is, you know, kind of creating a more proprietary and um, operationalized process. Mm. Uh, to, I mean, not to, to hit that statistical significance yeah. necessarily, but to have like. M- a volume and, and, and a breadth of of different types of expertise. So yeah. um we are we are watching the numbers. It's not like two people you yeah. <laughs> know there's definitely several several folks that that weigh in. Um but it's not just one way like Anish was saying yeah. it's not just a survey. We're yeah. not just gonna hit numbers to make sure that like 500 people yeah. have had build out the survey, we want to make sure that uh, we're getting real data and real insights.
0: Yeah. And it's quality over quantity as well. I love doing that kind of work as well. And that was exactly what I love doing at university. I actually, um, just a side conversation, but when I was at uni, I had a business idea and I wrote out the business plan and did all of my market research and you know, qualitative and quantitative um Uh, research around the idea as well. And it was for a coffee scrub. And it was during that time when I was iterating on the product and really refining it and getting it to a point where I wanted it to um, go to market. And it it was just the most exciting time. Like that was a part of the business that I really enjoyed. Um, Is that something that really revs you guys up as well? Like that's what you're in it for too? Like that component of the startup is what gets you excited and out of bed each day?
1: Definitely. I think honestly, like hearing from individual customers on a day-to-day, whether that's feedback on the products or whether yeah. that's input on something that we're building and creating, I think yep. that community aspect of, of building Zing has been really important fuel to get us going every single mm-hmm. day. Like I say often, like we're flying this plane and building it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyone that's been a part of this journey with us since day one can see the evolution of it on a mm-hmm. day-to-day basis. and And we hear from people literally every day, like people write to us every single day, whether that's on email, whether that's on DMs on Instagram, like, it's it's just really a reminder of why we're doing this and, and what the, the challenges that we're trying to solve, right, which is really fundamentally rethinking how we approach home cooking, mm-hmm. rethinking about that, that mental load that's associated with home cooking and, and and reminding home cooks that it doesn't have to be another list thing on your list of chores like you can have yeah. fun doing this and you can do this without adding all of that effort and energy um and and making this another you know thing to do and uh and and, and enjoy it so that, that 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 definitely keeps us going
0: yeah no that's for sure cooking has always been something that i've loved you know and it's something that i've always done as sort of more of a mental relaxation process at the end of the day to wind down it's always been my time but now that i've got kids i've got Zave who's about to turn 4 and hazel who's about to turn 2 it's difficult to cook you know in the house while they're both running around or you've got to keep them entertained or it's a it's a real challenge so having a product like yours that you've created to really add and lift a a uh, a plate that you're about to put down in front of the family is a huge bonus. So as you were suggesting before, it's, it's a product for everybody, which is really cool. So how did you sort of discover exactly who your customer is and sort of really refine down who your target audience is? Because, you know, everybody cooks, everybody does it. So if you're sort of drawing from a pool of everybody, that's huge. So how have you managed to sort of refine it right down so that you know that you're speaking to one person, for example?
2: I mean, we started with a hypothesis uh, yeah. about uh, who our target persona would be. And, and to be frank, we're still learning. And what we're recognizing is that it may not necessarily be at the brand level. Um, uh, you know, at the brand level, it's it's broad, uh, but at the skew level is where we see, um, you know, more specific target personas and such farming. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say we've nailed it down entirely. This is things that we're always refining um, you know, getting more insight into, um, and we've seen a lot of surprises as, as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, I would say the early source of that data was just really test kitchen. Uh, just mm-hmm. having in early early days of Test Kitchen, like the point one of that was our friends and family. So you mm-hmm. start from there, and then as the brand grows, and as you know, you start to to put yourself out there a little bit more. You start to speak with people you don't know, and their friends and their families, and then it's just you know organically sort of building from there. Um, so our customers are really are. Point of reference. Uh, and like we said, we have a really active community around us and people tell us. Um, and so we don't even, we've reached that point now where we're not pushing marketing messaging at them. Um, we have, you know, young parents that t- could write to us and say, you know what, like this has been a game changer for me because I no longer have to make two meals. I can just make one rose cauliflower and then that's what the kids get. And then when I want to add some zing to mine, I literally just put some like chili crisp on it and I'm good to go. So that's shaving time off in the kitchen. So um, we would, I think the way that we would approach it is we never assume, uh, we start with that hypothesis, and then adapt as we go. Um, and so far, I think what's been resonating is that the market is, is, it's, is it's aligned.
2: Yeah, and it's also much broader than, you know, initially, we might have imagined. Um, yeah. And so um, we are constantly running little tests to refine and get a better understanding of who are you know, uh, audiences. And um it's, I think this is true of any product, but it's food or not, you start um with an assumption, and then you continuously test that. And, you know, you're always uh, moving forward in a way where the answer today is better than the answer you had yesterday and the day before that.
0: Yeah, 100%. You guys are doing it right. I'm really excited to see how you're developing this business, because this is the world that I've come from as well. Um, so I would love to dig into some uh, marketing because my intuition tells me that you guys are doing a lot of testing there as well. So when you guys are out there and you're speaking to your audience, whether it's through, you know, email campaigns or through your website and the content that you've got there or through any of your social media handles, Facebook ads, you name it. Let's sort of dig into there because I'd love to sort of see how you guys are maximizing your spend and how you're actually testing your messaging and whether you're iterating on that as well.
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's early days for marketing. Interestingly enough, I think in the early, in the beginning, it was very much a focus on making sure that what we were communicating right off the bat made sense. Hmm. Um, I think we were very clear going into the going into the the start that we're not just another condiment company, right? Like we're building pantry shortcuts. So I think it was just making sure that we're refining that messaging right off the bat um, and communicating that uh, to customers was like fundamentally really important. Um, as far as paid advertising goes, that's a that's a journey we're just starting. To be honest, right. uh, we've had the the benefit of being organically very well loved in the community. Uh, we've had um, a lot of organic media traction. Uh, we've had a lot of influencers and professionals in the food industry that have endorsed our products um, just from having tried them um, and enjoyed them. Um, so that's really just been the engine of our marketing so far. Um, We do recognize that we have to think about ways that are sustainable and scalable. So Mm -hmm. growth marketing is something that we're actually actively pursuing right now, but there's not a lot of ads out there for Zinc currently in the market. It's really just been so community driven and media driven. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also rely very much on uh, reviews. So from the early days, that was the first thing that we just we recognized, just being a food product and thinking about the fact that this is something that you put in your body, you just wanna get some sort of social proof out there. Yeah. Uh, so anyone starting out, I would say when you have nothing, um, and by that, I mean, you know, just no social proof and also probably very limited budget starting out. Think about all the things that you can control and think about the things that you can do without putting a lot of investment in um, that can really help you build that foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so reviews were really important to us early on. Um, just making sure that credible people were endorsing what we do was really important to us. Um, and when we didn't have money, uh, we invested time. Um, yeah. And and it's not just ours, it's 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 also being strategic about who you speak with and and how you get your brand out there because it's crowded out there. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Have you heard of Hunter Browns, the um, brown butter cubes that are out on the market out here on the West Coast? Have I? <laughs> Yeah, she's doing an amazing job and she's got a very similar story to you in that she uh, making she was making these brown butter cubes at home and saw that it was really elevating her dishes. And, you know, it was a really, it was a delicious thing that her son loved to enjoy and she was making it for the family as well. And she thought that she had something in that idea. So she went out there, didn't have any experience in the hospitality industry, but she's leveraged chefs. And uh, to get that social proof and validation of the product out there as well. And it's something that's worked really, it's worked wonders for her because they're creating dishes and she's putting those on her website. And there's sort of been that loop going on there too. So hearing you say that really reminded me of the work that um, Lana's doing at Hunter Browns. It's really cool to sort of have that um, be echoed out in the world. Um, Yeah,
2: that's definitely a part of, um, you know, how we're thinking about it as well. Even our, um, you know, uh, we want Zing to be, a collaboration with the professional chef community and so yeah. um our latest um the SKU that we we launched uh, most recently our buzz hot honey um that's in collaboration with the chef and so you know as we uh, also build out new products that's that's a model we're hoping to adopt
1: yeah so, I and mean, that feeds into the marketing piece as well on some level because you are tapping into the audiences of the chefs you are tapping into their communities as well hmm. um, and so i think you know if if we had to have one keyword for how we how we do things at zing it's really community driven and, yeah. and as many people as we can
0: that's awesome i'm just going to bring it up now because i've heard you say it so many times and every time you say it, it just rolls off your tongue but zing it's such a great name for this product like just add a little bit of zing it's perfect how did you come about the name was it just something that clicked for you or was it a list of like hundred ideas and you had to really refine it down and you tested that as well.
2: Honestly, it was a project name. Uh, we did not, we did not test it, but yeah. we heard good feedback from our immediate sort of circles that we said uh, it was worth, uh, you know, attempting to go in and uh, go in with the brand name. Uh, the word comes from uh, something my mom was saying when she was uh, visiting us a couple of years ago. Um, and then we would go out to all these restaurants, et cetera. And, you know, she's a, a South Asian lady that likes a little, little bit of kick in her food. And so she would always say something like, this is really great, but I wish it had a little bit more zinc to it. And so <laughs> uh, it just, you know, from a project name, it, it carried, carried on and we thought it fit what we were trying to do. So
0: that's yeah. cool. That's awesome. Um, One other thing that I've um sort of found as a, a common thread throughout this podcast is that the businesses that have been really successful in their early days have sort of had some pillars that they've used as sort of guideposts to help them make some decisions. So what are sort of the core tenets of Zing and how do they allow you to sort of guide the decisions that you're making, whether it's about a new product, an idea that you're about to embark on, or whether it's an email or a marketing campaign that you're about to launch out into the world? What are the goalposts for you guys and how do they guide you?
2: That's a good question. That's a good
1: question. Um, I think at the product level, we have very predefined um, criteria for what the product needs to be. Um, I mean, I won't get into all of it, but at the high level, it needs to be in a pantry shortcut format.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) So I don't want to use it as an ingredient for an ingredient for an ingredient. is it possible for me to, to take my meal from fridge to table in 15 minutes? Uh, so I think that that is really what drives um, what we do at the product level. Um, at the brand level, I think everything sort of is, um, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't think we've uh, necessarily captured that in terms of, of, of uh, a predetermined pillar of what yeah. we do. But I do think that the one thing that, um, I think has been a benefit to us is that we're decisive, and we just do it. Mm -hmm. I think that this this approach of testing and learning has been really core to our business, Um, right from the test kitchen to how we start with the website, um, how we're approaching marketing, how we're approaching sales and distribution, Um, very much like to say that this first year ish, like we're not even at a year mark yet, Mm -hmm. um, has been a very public pilot of, of what we're building um and and we i mean not to say that that's the right approach or the wrong one um that's our approach uh we're very much um just yeah. try it it's, see what works learn from it we're okay. in,
2: we're very much in beta and so you know our guiding principles are being shaped by uh, the insight we gather as we're we're in beta but um, we are um very comfortable with you know as janine mentioned when it comes to the product there's a You know, there's a criteria, there's a selection of principles uh, that we, you know, um, we test each new idea through. Um, We have a lot of ideas. So uh, this is something we've we've found a way to refine. Mm -hmm.
0: You've said it a couple of times now, but you are in such early stages of this business. And when is the 12-month mark?
2: October.
0: October. So you're just on the eve of it. So the startup mentality and frame of mind that you're currently engaged in is so critical to where you're currently at right now, and it's probably going to go on for another couple of years. And then what you find is as organizations scale and as they grow, they sort of lose that frame of mind, that ability to be able to be as nimble as you currently are, and the ability to go out there and test because they're really interested in scaling and building procedures and policies, and you know getting the business to a point where it's going to start generating some serious revenue but i've sort of i've got the feeling that you guys are gonna keep that um that frame of mind that you're currently in right now a core tenant of what you're going to be doing at zing as you put out new products what's the vision for zing like where is it what's on the horizon what's the ultimate goal for you and do you even have a vision right now are you guys just so deep in the trenches of like getting this thing off the ground that you're not even looking too far into the future
1: I'll let Anish sort of speak to the vision piece, but I, I just wanted to sort of piggyback of what you were saying in terms of how we we have this testing first mentality. Yeah, I I, I want to be very clear in the sense that it is very test iterate learn, but yeah. it's very organized. Like we're yeah. not like randomly doing things. Um, it's very strategic in in the decisions that we make. We're just decisive and and like to learn fast. Mm-hmm. So. Instead of investing hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to 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 make something and then putting it out on the market, yeah. we might invest a few hundred or a few thousand dollars and do it. Um, but I think what we're getting good at is building that infrastructure and building that um those frameworks that can scale with us. So mm. I think scalability and the ability to, to build at scale is something that we are very cognizant of, even on the day-to-day today. So we're we're definitely approaching it with that scrappy startup mentality. Yeah that building for scale. So uh, just wanted to clarify.
0: (laughs) No, that's good. And I do have a a question from there. As you're collecting all of this data and you're putting it all into a format so that you can make decisions and review it as a team, what are you using? Like what are you using? Software like Trello or how are you actually like capturing all of that information and then utilizing it? Yeah, I Notion. am
1: probably a Notion power user. So we operate on sprints. We use Notion. We have, you know, the boot, like we're very much like treating this as, um, you know, we would in our day-to-day on the tech side of things. Yeah, but I
0: can tell. Yeah.
1: Yes. And bringing yeah. it to CPG and creating organization around it. But yeah. yeah, I think if I had a dollar for every time I said the word Notion on a day-to-day basis, I probably wouldn't need to use things. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, so we, we I, I imagine this is part of how other organizations do it. You know, when it comes to CPG, we don't have a ton of insight there. But, um, you know, leveraging methodologies like Agile was just yeah. uh, made sense and allowed us to keep ourselves um, moving forward while also giving us enough time to reflect on how we do, you know, the next thing differently. Like, you know, you can make Failure and errors are part of the process uh, when you're trying something new, Um, but if you don't pause and reflect on how you would do it differently, then you're just running into a brick wall over and over again. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things, um, frameworks like Agile um, and methodologies uh, like that have helped us, uh, you know, keep ourselves moving forward.
0: That's cool. Yeah, you guys are so lucky to be working as a team. You know, there are a lot of solo entrepreneurs out there that are sort of almost overwhelmed because they're doing it on their own and they're sort of in production producing the product, they're packaging it up, or they're taking receipt of the stock from a co-packer and then they're selling it and marketing it and trying to do all of the email campaigns on their own. It would be overwhelming, I can only imagine. And so working as a team and being able to sort of separate yourselves from each different component of the business shows a huge, huge amount of value.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of data out there. And this is, you know, uh, regardless of which industry you're in, having a strong co-founding team is, yeah. um, you know, that there's no um, sort of alternative to that. It's mm. always likely to be more successful if you yeah. uh, spread the load.
0: So yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure
1: we have very complementary skill sets too. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's worked really well for us to be yeah. kind of like a, a small well-oiled machine, but we're, we're kind of like able to really navigate the different moving parts quite well. And,
2: and Janine and me, you know, uh, Janine and I being a couple, it's it sort of ends up playing the role of what, uh, you know, if you have a repeat co-founding team, because you mm-hmm. know each other so well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, alluding back to the, the first half of this conversation, um, I think um, us being a couple has actually strengthened our ability to, um, you know, move faster.
0: That's really exciting, man. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what the future holds for Zing. So we were sort of you know, discussing the early days, you're about to embark on the 12 month point. Where do you yeah. see yourselves in the next 12 months? And I asked this on the last episode that I had as well. And I think it's a great question because it sort of can really capture a lot. But if I, if you were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what is, it, what is it exactly that you would have accomplished?
2: Well, if it's one year from now and we've had our best year ever, I hope that that's the case because we're only yeah, <laughs> yeah. Years old. That's true. Yeah. Um, Um, we would be in some trouble, trouble. but uh, I think our immediate focus and, you know, Janine jump in as well is to um, make Zing accessible to, you know, to start with as many Canadians as possible. So that means, you know, thinking about our distribution, e-commerce is obviously been, you know, great for us, but at the same time, it may or may not be the preferred channel for, um, you know, for many, many people. And so we want to make sure that um, you know, if uh, you are interested and you feel like Zinc can solve a problem in your life uh, that it's available to you. So that's what we are focused on um, from an immediate standpoint and then thinking about um, introducing ourselves to near geographies. Um, so we we think, you know, for uh, um, a U.S. expansion makes sense. We think there's opportunity there as well. So uh, in 12 months time, hopefully we've been we've been able to make a splash. Uh, On both those fronts,
0: yeah. Well, I've no doubt in my mind that just due to the way that you're going about it and you know, being so precise with your method that you're going out and collecting information and iterating and going back out to market, I'm sure that in no time you guys are going to see a lot of success and I'm really excited to watch you guys grow. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, If there was anybody out, out there that wanted to learn a little bit more about what you're doing or actually get their product into your hands, how's the best way to do it?
1: Oh, uh, the best way to do it would be to start at our website. That's yep. cookwithzing.com. Um, and also our all our social handles are at cookwithzing. Um, if you're looking for someone that is stalking us locally, we also have a page on the website that that speaks to some of our retail partners. Um, but yeah, if you live in Canada and want to get your hands on something, cookwithzing.com is the place to start.
0: Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it today, guys. I'm um, Such a great story. That was awesome. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at hayden at thepackifypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at Podcast, or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.